All right. Hi, guys. This is G from The Idea. I'm a new dad, entrepreneur, and all-around regular guy who wants to see more empathy and compassion in the world. And this podcast is essentially a series of conversational interviews I host with nominated everyday heroes to learn from them and see how we can spread compassion and empathy around the world. So my guest today is Robbie Tessera, who is a sports scientist and coach from Melbourne, Victoria, from Vic University. He's worked across the spectrum in the sports and coaching industry, from local gyms in Melbourne to grassroots in, uh, initiatives in Cambodia to some of the biggest sports clubs in Australia. And he's been nominated today because even prior to the pro bono coaching and help that he's doing during the COVID-19 situation, he went all the way to Cambodia in 2019 and supported many, many local sports groups from rugby to volleyball, trampolining, football, to just gym coaching. And he passed on his knowledge about the human body and mind. And he did all of this for free. Hours of putting together comprehensive plans uh, and one-on-one -on -one coaching to make sure people are equipped and were equipped with the knowledge to look after themselves. And in my opinion, because I worked with him on this, uh, he's a true man of substance. And his vision is to create a, uh, more accessibility for better health and performance through education and teaching individuals, teams, and communities about how to build better systems based on what they need. And given the current COVID-19 situation, he's very, very important because he's helping a lot of people stay in touch with themselves, and he's got highly sought-after skills and knowledge, and it is my absolute pleasure to introduce him. So thanks for coming to the show, Robbie. Thanks for having me. Cool. So before we start talking about all the COVID stuff and things that you're currently doing, I wanted to touch base with you and, and just run through what you were doing in Cambodia. In Cambodia, I guess I was running around everywhere. I was trying to at least. I wanted to immerse myself in, I guess, the sporting culture and the culture of the country itself and how it kind of influenced mm -hmm. what other people did and how it could influence how I could basically work as a professional myself. It started off with a message. I sent out a message to the community and basically mm -hmm. said, hey, I'm here from Australia. I've got X amount of experience mm -hmm. and I'd love to be able to help out those who would want it. And I basically said, you know, I'm doing it for free. Uh, I really didn't expect too much of a reply considering A, it's a foreign country, B, no one knows who I am. So I didn't know what to expect, but the, I guess the comments and the, the emails and the questions kept coming out, well, how can you help us? And from there, I went to the circus, the National Circus School, the National Cycling Team, uh, worked with Swireen, uh, worked with yourself, G, at Fi. I worked with the rugby team. I worked with uh, Chan Rotana, one of the, uh, the fighters there. And I uh, can do a couple of seminars as well and educate some people on, I guess, how to look after their body with food and gut health. It was, it was a pretty amazing experience, to be honest. Well, that's great. And you were, you were everywhere. My, well, I remember asking you, why, why Cambodia? And you said that you had burnt out a little bit in Australia with all the things that you were doing. And then I just thought to myself, but you're, you're doing just as much, if not more here in Cambodia. And on top of that, you were doing it for free. So how, how do you justify that? Because like for, for me, you're a humble guy and you roll up your sleeves, you get to work to pay the bills, just like everyone else. You don't have some billion dollar mansion at the back that we're not aware of. So how do you justify doing so much of, of the things that, and you're actually very good, again, very good at what you do. So 
why did you do that pro bono? I think one of the biggest reasons was I, although I loved the work I was doing back home in Australia, I, I think I was starting to lose passion in what I was doing, or at least the people I was working for didn't help me feed the passion that I had. And so, you know, working endless hours didn't really amount to much in terms of me developing myself. My partner was currently in Cambodia and I thought, you know what, it's an opportunity for me to go overseas, learn from someone else, learn from as many people as I can and hopefully reignite something in myself that I felt like was kind of stripped away. And in order for me to do that, I kind of had to let go of the fact that I'm probably not going to get paid for it. And if, if I was going to get paid for it, it would be very little. So when I went over there with pretty much an open mind, open arms and just said, let's see how much I can do and who's willing to help me. That's really interesting. You were talking about reigniting your passion and that you'd lost some of the passion working for some of the, or with some of the things that you were doing prior to that. Did, did money have to do a little bit with diluting some of the passion for the things that you did? It did, probably not in the way most people would assume. For me, I've always, well, one of the reasons I got into this role was basically because I was getting help when I was younger from a coach and they basically left me in the lurch, myself and the whole club or our community there. And I stepped up and I helped out. And then someone basically said to me, well, why don't you take this on as a career? So I did that, which is, I guess, got me on the path to where I am right now. But um, I guess it's a bit of a, bit of an odd one, actually. Sorry to mind asking that one again, because I think I lost my train of thought there. Oh, no, no worries. Base, I mean, it was just the, the relationship between passion and money, because for, the, the, yeah. for me, the point of this whole, like, uh, these conversational interviews is to find out how we can get people, more people to, to, well, firstly, to find out why you do what you do, and you do so much of that for free, and how we can get other people to do it, although we're not quite there yet. But hoping like that we can learn from your story as to firstly, like in this instance, why, why you did it for free. And then regarding the, the money aspect, because you went to Cambodia and again, you did a lot of this pro bono and you had already decided that you weren't going to ask for money. Yeah. Um, okay. So, well, the people I was, or the person I was working for, it was a great business and I loved the people I was working with. I loved the people I was coaching, but the cost of that was, was too much. They, they were charging a very, very high amount to give very low quality. And for me, that took a lot of the passion away because I got into the role to help people out and I didn't think people should be paying more to get that help than it would cost them to get the basic needs they needed to survive. And so it really rubbed me the wrong way. I went into work to do a job, not to do something I enjoyed really took the passion away from what I got into industry for. There shouldn't really be a crazy price for help when it's something that I don't know. I feel like health and what I can offer is something that should be like accessible to everyone. And when you put a severe price on accessibility, then it's not really accessible to anyone. So how can anyone get the help? Hmm. So that's, that's pretty much one of the biggest reasons why I lost that passion and why I did it for free. Because if I couldn't make myself accessible, then how could I actually help anyone? Yeah. And from the business standpoint, because a lot of these people that were interviewing, you yourself included, 
um, have to make some form of income. So how, how do you justify that moving forward and say, hey, look, I'm, I'm there for that amount of time. And I mean, does it have to lead towards something? I, ideally, it should so that you can continue sustaining yourself. Yeah, um, well, look, I would like to think that anyone in my situation would work as hard as they could to save up enough to basically put yourself in position to do it, um, which is what I did. I was working nearly 70-hour weeks, 70, 80-hour weeks, while studying full-time as well. While studying um, full-time? Yeah, so I actually <laughs> finished studying the week I, <laughs> I flew out overseas. So I just finished my, my last exam and then of that week, I went out and flew overseas. Yeah. Wow, you machine. That sounds insane. So you were studying full-time and working full like more than full-time essentially to, to put yeah. yourself together to, to be able to go to Cambodia to do the things that you did. Yeah. And were there, were there opportunities that came out of that? Because again, you, you did so much of that for free that like, Again, how, how do you justify there were, that? Yeah. Well, there was a lot of opportunities. Um, a lot of opportunities I'm really grateful for. I ended up with some opportunities while I was over there, some paid roles. But um, the problem with those paid roles were that if I did those paid roles, it would take time away from the things that I felt like I needed to do to develop myself, things I need to invest myself in. And I think if I'd taken those paid roles, then I guess the whole reason I would go there would have gone out the door. The, the whole point of me investing myself, I would have lost for the sake of income. In the months to come after I'd left Cambodia, I was still getting job offers for Cambodia, which was great. And my time in Cambodia actually led to me getting a lot of paid roles that I have right now in Australia. Well, there we go. So there was actually some really clear business benefits from putting, putting yourself out there first. So that that's a clear timeline because some some people would would ask and say well how much free stuff is too much free stuff you know what i'm saying like at what point do you say hey okay like i gotta draw a line here like i i need to start getting paid for something did, did that occur to you while you were doing it all in in cambodia yeah the for me it's more of a boundary of how it affects everything else so the line in which i draw depends on how much a person is asking or expecting in return for free so I've always been upfront and I was upfront to everyone that I helped out with Cambodia. And I said, look, um, I can offer you this amount of time because I'm working on this, this, and this. And the moment that someone expects more from me that takes away from everything that I'm trying to do and the other people I'm trying to help, then to me, that's a line I won't cross. Um, if it starts to seep into my personal life as well and take away from my relationships, then that's the boundary as well. That's when I'd say, okay, well, that's too much free stuff. You're asking for a bit too much. There has to be that line there. That's a very mature way of looking at things. Oh, that's good. And this, this might sound strange, but like for you, what's your bar for there not being enough or not having, so this is on the other side of, of the spectrum. What's your check for not having done enough? I think if you haven't left someone with some sort of tool or some sort of system to do what you did for themselves without you having to hold their hand, you haven't done enough. If someone hasn't left a little better off than they were when you arrived, then you either haven't done a good enough job of setting out what you plan to do, you didn't work hard enough, or you went in with the wrong intentions. Right, okay, that's good. 
there was a story uh, that I remember when you were in Cambodia. You were helping out one of these coaching teams, and in the end, you ended up doing pro bono again, uh, coaching for a team which somebody else was actually getting paid for but wasn't doing. And yep. typically, this would make 99% of people probably really bitter about it. Like, hey, you're getting a full salary for this and I'm doing this for free, but you're getting paid and I'm not. Like, what's, what's up here? And I remember your approach being super mature about it. And I was wondering how, how, do, you do, how do you not be bitter in that kind of a situation? Because if we want people to act with compassion and to act empathetically, that means a lot of the time doing things for free because you just you want to help someone. But what if it's a situation where there's money involved and someone's, supposed, someone's getting paid for it, it's their job, and they're not doing it? And you're stepping up because someone, someone needs to do it. So how do you not be bitter about um, it? I think you have to first ask yourself, why did I put myself in a situation in the first place? Because I think how you, how you approach a situation will definitely play, I guess, in the outcome of the said situation. So if I'd gone in there and I basically said, I will do this for X amount of money, then I've already set the precedent that I expect to get paid. But I, I went in with the aim to help out for free. Now, I can't really get angry if by me helping um, leads to someone else getting paid to do the same job because I knew I was going and doing it for free. Um, I think that's the first thing you have to basically think about, well, why am I here? Am I here to get paid or am I here to help out? And if I've already set the first goal and I am helping out, if I'm making a difference and I enjoy what I do, I'm pretty happy. Um, it happens a lot. It happens a lot where someone will get paid to do something that they're not doing or they do a terrible job of. Um, and then it's up to you to decide how is it going to affect you. Um, in that situation for me, I asked myself, well, what am I actually getting out of this? And what I got out of it was free reign to experiment however I'd like to experiment um, in a situation where in Australia it would be very hard to get into. So, again, it comes down to uh, how much was I willing to invest for free for something that I could only get in this situation that I couldn't get in another situation um, in Australia. And that meant that, you know, I would do work that someone else would get paid for, but it meant that I could do a million things to help out the people that needed help and I could do it the way I wanted to do it and I'd still get the outcome that I'd actually set up for in the first place. So I think you have to be happy if you get the outcome that you wanted. Yeah. So your intention was already there because you, you, well, you went to Cambodia already having decided that this was not just a giant money-making endeavor and that you, you went in there with the intention of learning and also giving back. So for you, it was pretty clear cut. So in a volunteer situation, that, that sounds like really, really good advice. So just firstly, deciding to shift your perspective away from what's that other person getting but also thinking, yeah. well, hold on a minute. This is about me and my feelings. And my feelings are for me to, to decide on. Like I can choose how I respond to the situation and I don't want to be bitter about it. And your way of doing that was to consider, okay, well, actually, what am I benefiting from here? And in that situation for you, you got to do all kinds of interesting experiments and have the opportunity to put that, all those things. I imagine you put that on your CV, right? Yes. Yes. And that got you work. So that unpaid work on Australia on top of that. 
which I would imagine is more than in Cambodia. So <laughs> there you go. But um, funny, funny thing um, to the job that I did for that team while I was in Cambodia, I continued to do for another whole year for free while I was still working in Australia. Wow. Okay. So you're um, still doing all that from Australia. Oh, you were. Well, I was of- until yeah. the yeah, just to the end of last year, because well, that's this is where it all comes around full circle. So after helping up for a long time, um, Swarine killed it. They smashed the the cup. They won the season, um, and so they basically said, "Look, we want you to come back, but we'd like to pay you for the role." And it was it was an amazing opportunity. Like what they offered me was probably four times what the average Khmer person would earn in a year. Actually, no, sorry. What they offered me was, what they offered me a fortnight was what the average Khmer person earned in a month. Sorry, no, in a year. Yes, sorry. I'm losing my train of thought. Probably, so, yeah. <laughs> That's okay. <laughs> wow, yeah. well, that, that's so, great. Anyway, that really did come around. That's fantastic. Yeah, it, 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 it did, but um, I had to turn it down. And then it was my job to find someone else to take my job, which is, which is hard. It's hard to let go of something. But again, I had to think, well, if I don't find someone else to help them out, are they really getting the best benefit possible? They need someone who can actually be there to help them out. It sounds like your approach is not for someone who's going into that with already the idea of wanting to make money at the end of it. You just happen to have done such a good job that people valued it and then they came back to you, but not with this idea of I do something for free and I make you this and then later you offer me a job. And, and I think that's where for a lot of people that mentality kind of fails and there's so much disillusionment at the end of it. And I think that's, that's yeah. quite important. So for you, the volunteering aspects came back and, and helped you out. But for, for someone who's getting... Let's say both people are getting sad. Let's say you got paid for the job and then that coach guy, whoever it was that didn't do their job very well, also got paid, but you stepped in to do a lot of their role. Would you feel the same way? Would you still have the same approach? Um, no, I think the approach would definitely be different only because I would basically, oh, well, actually I did. Uh, I did, I did um, speak to the coach and said, Tell me why you should get paid to do what you do. And the reason I said that was because it wasn't because I felt a personal personal hurt. It was more because the people in his care weren't getting any care. I think if you do a job and if you're getting paid to do the job, if you do it well, then cool. I'm not going to argue if you're getting paid more than me. Um, but if you're getting paid to do a job and you're not doing it well and I am doing that job for you and you're still getting paid, my problem isn't that you're getting paid. My problem is that you're getting paid and not doing anything to help anyone out. In that situation, I would approach the person again and I would say, yeah, why do you think you should get paid for this um, if we're doing the same job and I'm doing all the work? But I think you also have to ask yourself, what are you gaining from this? What are you gaining from this confrontation? Um, is the confrontation going to lead to you having a better outcome? Is it going to lead to you potentially losing your job, which can happen a lot in my industry, unfortunately. If you speak up, most of the times you lose your job, even if the other person is doing the wrong thing. Can can you just explain that to me? Like, how do you lose your job for you speaking up for someone else not doing their job? 
the SNC industry, so strength and conditioning, is very much like teaching in the sense that if you've been around for long enough, it's almost like having tenure. Uh, I see. So whether you do a good job or not, you've been in it long enough that what you do must work because you've been in that role for so long, which isn't always the case. Just because you've had a job for a long time doesn't mean you do it well. Yeah. Yeah. Plenty of cases of that. There's a funny thing called the Peters principle, uh, but that that's not for the topic of this conversation. So I'll talk about that with you later. So your, your mindset were just to come back to the original question about how you not become bitter is really about framing it. And it sounds like really good advice for young, young people out there, you know, in terms of how much, and correct me if I'm wrong, but your framing is something like how much will it cost me if I don't invest my time now, if I don't take this opportunity, even if it's for free to, to learn. And then obviously I learn from that experience and I can apply it uh, for future opportunities. Is that, is that about right? Is that what you're saying? Yeah, yeah, exactly. Because you have to think if I, if I let the, if you let the factor of income um, affects the investment that I'm hoping to get from the experience then what am I potentially losing in the future? So for me, if I, if I hadn't invested my time for free, I probably wouldn't have had the, the job I have right now. I probably wouldn't have got the job offer. I probably wouldn't have the conversation I'm having with you because we wouldn't have had this connection. I probably wouldn't have set up the, the networks that I have. So the cost is quite high. So you, you do have to ask yourself, like, what am I losing if I don't invest? What is the actual cost? Mm. Um, because people are always wondering, what am I getting? What am I getting? What am I getting? Well, what are you losing if you don't invest your time? I, by the way, on that note, I could, I could hear. I could hear already just like some thoughts of maybe young listeners who might be thinking, but hold on a minute. There's a lot of blind faith in thinking that you, you would get the network or that, you, that someone would even appreciate what you do at, at the end of it. So what, what, do you, what would you say to that? Well, again, I, I think you have to ask yourself, why did you go there in the first place? Why did you seek that experience? Um, for me, I got what I went for. So I came back from Cambodia with a better system. So in terms of system, what I mean is like um, a model in which I use to test, to coach, to help people get better. I had better methods. I learned so much more about personalities and how to coach different personalities. I learned how to deal with language barrier. I learned how to basically deal with the client and how the climate affects the athletes in said atmosphere. Um, and I learned how to work in a environment where there's a lot, like a lot of conflict. And so that's what my investment got me. It didn't, it didn't necessarily have to lead to jobs, but it learned to me having so much experience in personal development that I'm way better off for it. I can say no to things a lot more. I can say yes to things that I deserve. Yeah, you have to ask yourself, why am I going there? What am I investing in? And if I got the investment, then I should be happy. Again, a very mature way of looking at things. I, I was just thinking that as a trampoline park owner and as someone who set up climbing gyms and things everywhere, like your set of skills is very interesting for me. And and or for me as an entrepreneur, I'm just thinking, man, I, I could really use with your help, use your help. So like, that is a really clear situation of, of where the skills that you develop with an idea or at least a vision of kind of what you want to learn that you can then use to, to apply professionally. And then that 
would arguably uh, be your benefit. But you set those terms, though, because it, it sounds like it, require, uh, um, it requires quite a bit of self-reflection to decide, okay, here's the, the gaps and skills that I'm missing. Now, how do I go about closing those gaps? And this opportunity would help me do that. So that, that answered my question. I am very interested then in how you go about approaching people for this because you were an are a foreigner in Cambodia and it's, it's a society which has seen a lot of foreign help, but also the wrong kind of foreign help where there's a lot of what we call hero expat mentality where like, Oh, I'm white or I'm, I'm a foreigner and I come from a better education and all that. And I know more than you. And it's led to some pretty horrible disasters, honestly speaking. And we see this among countries, you know, and, and of course among the, the micro level with, with just volunteerism, you know, like volunteers going to these countries teaching English for like a month, you know, and then leaving and building these relationships with children, for example, and then just leaving uh, and, and all, and among many other issues. So how, how, how did you approach this given, given the landmine, you know, of, uh, that you'd have to navigate? Um, I, I had to basically be as open as possible. And I think if you're not open with what you want and what you expect and what you expect to give, then you basically, you put yourself in a situation when you're probably going to get a lot of people who actually will help you out. If you leave any room for questioning where people might question your motives, then um, they probably won't open themselves up to you. So for me, I basically said, um, this is who I am. This is what I can offer. And I would love to learn from you from what you do. And it wasn't about breaking people down and telling that you need me, you have to have me. It was more so that um, I'd love to know what works, why it works, and if it doesn't work, why it doesn't work, and how can I help? So it was more about me experiencing and understanding how someone else's system worked and then seeing if I could help out. It, wasn't, it was never a promise that I could fix all things. And I think if you make promises that you can't basically keep, then there's always going to be the expectation that you can always easily go back on your word. Yeah. That approach sounds leads to like, yeah, yeah. Sorry. Continue. Yeah. Wow. Well, your approach sounds really balanced. I can see how that could work because, because you've, you've come knocking on someone's door asking for an opportunity. And although for them, you know, like the financial barrier is gone and that's typically the, the biggest and the main barrier. And you went about it with this, like I'm on your level here and I can understand how this could come off and you're not even thinking about it. So firstly, let's talk about what's already in your head, which is your existing problems. And okay, that's really interesting. And I'm just going to observe. And here's what I do, by the way, this is what I do. And I do this quite well. And now that I've seen like your situation, this is what I can, I can do to improve. And if, and if you're interested, I can, I can, I can do this for you. Is that about right? Did I, did I nail that? Yeah. Great. Yeah, it's perfect. Oh, that's good. I, think, I think if you go and approach someone and tell them that what they do doesn't work, that they're doing it wrong, then you've just created this barrier straight away. You haven't opened a door to let you in. You've created another barrier. It's going to be they way too defensive. hard. Yeah. Nobody yeah, wants to be criticized right away by a stranger. <laughs> you know, I, I, I help a lot of people with setting them up for interviews and a lot of them come to me asking why like they they should be the most or if they're trying to join my firm any of our firms and they they say hey look i should be incredibly qualified 
for this particular position, but I didn't get it and why. And, and a lot of the time these people criticize first as opposed to saying, Hey, look, here's a gap and here's what I would go about doing to, to resolve that. But what do you think? And that approach is so much more human as opposed to this top down. Yeah, you're wrong. And that's what I would do to, that's why you should hire me. And it's, and it's almost quite arrogant actually. And, and I would yeah. like, I wouldn't see that working well. Yeah. So that, that's a really, really good approach. So thanks again for all the time that you went to Cambodia for, and you helped us so much of the community. You really did. And, and including my community, you know, like our, our guys over at the trampoline park, you know, they, they'd been taught by, I think other locals and they hadn't had so much, like they went to China, but they hadn't been exposed to other trainers and coaches because you know, the, the circus school that you went to go help at, I think you were, you were saying, and it is true that they hadn't allowed or worked with other foreign coaches before. And you were the first. And I'd imagine that your approach, your demeanor is exactly why they, they let that happen. So that there's, Good, good example of it, of it in action. So I, I want to talk briefly about given the, you know, the, the current situation given, given COVID. So what are you doing at the moment in your community uh, for people there? The biggest thing is trying to reduce panic and still create some sort of normality. And so, so trying to reduce that. what? Sorry, I just missed that. I guess like stress and panic. Ah, um, panic. Okay, like yeah. a lot of people... Yeah, there's a lot of panic and people have lost their routines and their sense of normality. There's a very, very big disconnect between communities here because we have so much isolation that people have lost that connection. They haven't got their, I guess, they haven't got that thing that they go and do with other people that makes them feel like they're a part of something. And that's huge. That's, it's, it's very big. Like, you know, unfortunately, things like suicide, domestic violence, family violence all go up because people are locked down and they haven't got their outlets. So myself and other coaches, the best thing that we've done is just, I guess, try to create online communities in a sense, set some daily challenges, set some daily workouts, free workouts, things to keep people motivated to know that when this is all over, the community that we had before is still going to exist. And the people that were there to support you are still here now that we can still build towards something. And I think that's what you need to do now. You need to remind people that, we're all going through the same crisis. We might live in different houses, can't see each other, but we can still do a lot to support each other and still have that same community we had, whether it was in the gym, a park, or wherever it might be, online, we can still look after each other. I think it's the biggest thing. Man, that's great. So as a, as a sports scientist and, and a coach, like, is there something which an everyday person can do for themselves during this time? Um, I think get the... Get the right education. When I talk about right education, I mean listening to or informing yourself with the right things. There's been a lot of scare tactics to basically push people to spend money on fitness equipment or push people to buy certain things, whether it be toilet paper or food. And I think understanding that, you know, to look after yourself, you don't need a lot. You just need to understand how your body reacts to certain things and the basic needs. So I think if you can stick to, I think the best thing I could probably tell you, advice for health, stick to outside of the aisles, eat everything that's on the outside of the aisle. So fruit, vegetables, go to the deli. You don't really need anything that's inside the aisles. In terms of physical health, move every day. Doesn't matter if it's, you know, going for a short walk, 
do something that allows you to move and have some sort of control over yourself because it's our lack of control right now that is giving people the most stress because when someone says to you, you can't do this you can't do that you lose control and that lack of control stresses people out so you have control of your physical capacity go for a walk go for a run you have control of what you put in your mouth it's no one else's responsibility to look after you and taking on that responsibility yourself gives you that control there's still something you can control for yourself. That lack of certainty sounds like the cause or it is pretty much the cause of all that fear. And so, you, I mean, you had a lot of really good stuff there. So like eating well, and, and you said, you mentioned about routines before. And for, for yeah. some people, like for myself included, the routines are tough because I've got two really, really young boys. I've got businesses in another country. So I have to manage this across a different time zone where I'm like six hours behind and I'll wake up to hundreds of messages and I still quite, I still haven't found a way to manage my stress, you know, over, over work, personal life. And, and I'm sure during the, co- the course of this conversation, you probably could hear the boys in the other room <laughs> crying or whatever. They're with my wife and, and with luckily my mom is here, but yeah, like what do you do g- given that? Like it, it's, like, I don't know how to find routine with such young children. Like, I, I find that really, really tough. I think you, you, have to set, you have to set terms for yourself. So I think for people, if you say, I have to do something at a specific time, especially being a parent, that's way too hard. You might say to yourself, all right, I'm going to train at 8 a.m. But what happens if there's an emergency? What if the kids wake up? What if they need you? Yeah. Well, your kids are going to come first. So rather than setting a dedicated time, Instead, say to yourself, um, part of my routine is going to be me going for a walk. So now you can say to yourself, all right, well, I'm going to take the boys and I'm going to go for a walk with the boys. So you can still look after your kids, but it means that you're getting active as well. It can be that, you know, if it's um, something for for health, let's say um, you're going to make sure you eat a certain amount of food a day rather than at a certain time. Setting specific boundaries where it's like stuck to a certain time makes life very hard for a team of someone who's got a lot to do. So I think having um, a total total goal. So you'd say, by the end of the week, I would like to have gone for four walks. Now, you can do those four walks any way you need to. It could mean that you go with the boys. It could mean that you do it when you put out the rubbish. It could mean you do laps in the house. But as long as you set terms, you say, these are my KPIs, my key performance um, indicators. I must walk 20,000 steps in this week. Then you have have a term you've set for yourself but there's no strict rigid guideline where you have to do it at this time so i think that way you can still build a routine i see okay and and maybe not beat yourself up if you don't reach it or or beat your no i mean you'd feel guilt like if you didn't reach it you'd still feel pretty bad no and like i like for example like i i have my own routines routines i now have goals which like I want to do X amount of reps per day, which I've now decided, okay, I'm going to elongate this time because some days I have more time, some days I have less. So if I can do it, I'll do it. But they're like, honestly, most days I, I just can't, I can't get around to it. Like I don't have work blocks anymore. I'll get interrupted 10 minutes into a call and then have to change a diaper and then find out that it leaked and now I have to change everything and, and shower the boy or whatever. And that happens more often than, than people who aren't parents realize. So, especially to infants. So, yeah, how, how, do you, 
how would you deal with the that stress of of not having met goals? Um, I think you have to have an outlet, and if your outlet isn't exercise, then you need to have something there that basically tells you it's okay. Whether it means you sit down and you read a book, you have to have something set in place that the punishment needs to actually be a reward. Because if you're constantly punishing yourself for something that you cannot do, then you're going to keep going down the same rabbit hole. Um, a lot of people say, well, I couldn't go for a walk today. I feel like crap. I couldn't go for a walk the next day, the next day, the next day. So, well, you know what? I don't get to eat this week. So, well, no, that's not the right mentality. The mentality should be, okay, well, what is my answer? So my reward will be, well, I'm going to have to get up a little bit earlier before everyone else wakes up and I'm going to go and do that walk. So you have to set the standard for yourself. So I wouldn't call it a punishment. I would say it's a reward because that's going to lead to you having better health outcomes. Um, that's what I would say. That so is a nice create, perspective. You have to create the environment that's going to be conducive to you getting better. You know, people always say you can be a product of your environment. Well, you're the one building your environment. So, you know, do something about it. Yeah, man, that's good. And that's, you see, that's, that's the value of having a coach, someone who will help you frame it differently. So you still do it. Okay. Well, that, that's good. My last question is, I mean, well, before I ask if there's anything that you'd like to share with the audience, but how, how would you go about encouraging other people to, I mean, let's start with coaches. How would you encourage other coaches to, to perform acts of compassion during this sort of time? Not even during this sort of time, um, but in general, I think people should be doing it, but how would you encourage it? Yeah. Um, a coach that I look up to had, had said, you should never sacrifice relationships or revenue. And I think that's really, really important. Um, you should never look as every relationship having a dollar sign while having something attached to it in that sense. Like, you know, like, especially during this time, if we always say to ourselves, okay, well, I'm only going to give you X amount of time because it costs this much. Well, when this is all over, because it will end, people will remember how much time you invested and how much you were actually willing to sacrifice to help them out. Um, and they probably won't invest in you. They probably won't be willing to sacrifice some of their own time to help you out. Because at some point, we're all going to be in a hard spot, whether it's now, whether it's in the future. So definitely never sacrifice the relationships with revenue because someone out there is always going to be having your back and someone's going to need your help as well. Some really good advice. Never sacrifice relationships for revenue. I want to write that one down. Uh, and lastly, is there anything that you'd like to share with listeners before we leave? I think have hope, you know, honestly, like with the way things are going, um, we're all focusing on the terrible things about, you know, the virus, you know, in Australia, at least the, the curve is flattening. The hope that I have and the hope that I see is that the sky is way bluer. The, the atmosphere is a lot clearer. You can breathe so much easier. A lot of the things that we were worrying were basically going to end or not exist or go extinct are actually flourishing. There's, there's a lot of positives. There's a lot of positives amongst the negatives that are happening that are actually setting us up for a better future. So I think if people plan ahead now, and think, well, what can I do and take advantage of the good things that are happening to set myself for the future, then there's still hope. That's great. Well, thank you very much for your time. All right. Thanks for having me. Cool. And if you'd like to hear a little bit more from Robbie, we are putting his contact details in the description below, or you can find him on Instagram at Coach 
underscore Robbie dot T.